Now, I want to get into the book of Galatians, but before we do, I want to pray. I need God's help with this, so will you pray with me right now? God, help me to be present right here in this moment, not thinking about the next thing that I want to say, but thinking about the thing I'm saying right now. Help the people who are here that are hearing, that you would remove their distractions and that you would hear, uh, that they would hear your message your gospel, your truth, that the eyes of their hearts would be open and that they would not be hearers of the word only, but doers, that, that the message that is received today would have real implication on their life. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. As, t- as Tim mentioned at the opening, we are finishing the book of Galatians. It only took us 17 uh, weeks to get through six chapters. Imagine what we're going to do with the book of Luke, which is coming up next. Uh, and actually, we'll be jumping kind of right into the middle because after a year going through Luke at our Salem location, we made it as far as Luke chapter 18. And so we're going to continue. But the good news is some of the most exciting stuff is coming up in the book of of Luke. And so starting next week, I believe it'll be next week or possibly the week after that, we'll be starting up in the, in the book of Luke in chapter 18. We are one church in two locations, a Salem location and a Silverton location. And so we preach together, we teach together, we prepare together uh, as we're preaching God's word. But in the time that we have left here, I want to, to draw your focus to the end of Galatians and watch what Paul does. He's, he's giving his kind of emphatic end to his letter. He's written a letter to the Galatians. It's been a passionate letter. And we see right here in verse 11, we can start there, that he's writing in his own word. He's writing in his, uh, with his own hand. Verse 11, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. This is an important message. And he doesn't want anyone to think that it could be some kind of uh, forgery or someone else, a false teacher. He is, in fact, attacking the teachers in Galatia. He's saying, you've been bewitched, it said in in Galatians 3. You've been tricked. You've been bamboozled. The people who are leading you are boasting in you, and they're not boasting in the cross. They're boasting in themselves, which is what it says in verse 12. But I can't help but look at one verse in this section as being his big exclamatory exclamatory point at the end of this letter, the thing that he wants you to pay attention to the most, the thing that for himself he has set his eyes and his focus on is in verse 14. I can't stop thinking about this verse as I'm preparing uh, this message. I want to try to recap all that we've learned in Galatians, but I think it all comes through chapter 14, or I'm sorry, verse 14. Look at verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing left to boast in, he says. I'm not going to glory in, to boast in, to brag in, or put my hope in anything but the cross of Christ. What struck me is why the cross? There are those who would say that we, what we need, what this world needs is the teaching of Jesus. We need the Sermon on the Mount. We need to turn the other cheek. So why doesn't he say then, I boast in nothing but the teaching of Christ? I boast in nothing but the Sermon on the Mount. I I boast in nothing but the, the life of Christ, the example of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the regeneration of Christ. Why the cross? Why is the cross 
the central tenet of the Christian faith. And when I talk about the cross, I'm not talking about any cross. I'm talking about the cross that the Son of God gave his life willingly to the will of the Father, offered up his life, and died, though he deserved not to die for us, who did deserve to die in that way. I'm talking about that cross, the cross of Jesus. Tim Keller, if you guys have been looking at this book we've been going through, Galatians for You, we're almost done with it. It's kind of a, 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 a guide as we're going through the book of Galatians. You can do kind of some personal study or some, some uh, book study. If you want to dive deeper into Galatians, I encourage you to get that book so that you can take a look at it. But in the last chapter, if you looked at it, he said something. There was a quote in there. He says that if you understand the cross... It is the most beautiful thing you've ever considered. Or it's offensive. It's repugnant. It is a stumbling block to you. You cannot be indifferent to it because if you are indifferent to it, you do not understand it. It's either beautiful or it's offensive. If you, if you are not moved by the cross to one of those two extremes... I'm offering, Tim Keller is offering, you don't understand the cross. So in order to uh, glean the sweetness of the cross, we have to grapple now with the, the bitterness of the cross. So I'm hoping now in the next couple of minutes that I can offend you with the cross. We have to see why the cross is offensive before we can see why it's beautiful. Now, in the book of Galatians, we actually see a breakdown of the offense of the cross. Paul makes various observations about how the cross is offensive to different ways of thinking, different approaches to salvation. How is it that a person is saved? How is it that a person is justified? How is it that a person is made right before God because Galatia... This area, this region, had heard the truth, but they'd now gone to some other truth. They had added to the message of the cross. In Galatians 1, it is an offense to anyone who would ever try to add to the gospel. It says there is no other gospel. We've entitled the entire series, There is no other gospel. There is one gospel, and it is Christ and Him crucified. Paul in other parts of the New Testament emphasizes that the central point is the crucifixion. Why? Why is this offensive to the idea that anyone would ever add to the gospel? Remember that the context of Galatians is around circumcision and, 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 and Jewish ritual and practice that Christians must look and act like Jews in order to be uh, acceptable uh, by God and, and, more importantly, to avoid the persecution of the day. See, Jews were accepted in Rome at that time, but Christians weren't. Why? Because they refused to worship any other god, including Caesar. Rome was perfectly happy to have every other Every religion living in harmony. Rome was vast and expansive. They even offered to, to put Christ and his cross in their pantheon of gods, and he could be included as, as, as one of the many religious practices of the day. But Christians refused. They refused to worship anything but God only, and Christ crucified. It was only that. And because of that, they were persecuted. 
So the cross is an offense to anyone who would ever try to add to the gospel. I got from J. Vernon McGee this, this, this quote about the cross. I am solely and wholly saved. Through the cross, I am solely and wholly saved. Meaning, only the cross saves me, and the cross saves me completely. I am solely saved by the cross, and I am wholly saved by the cross. There is no other gospel, and it is an offense to anyone who would try to add to it. What teacher could bring some new truth to gain a new following, to be the the fad, the leader of the day, if if everything was accomplished uh, on the cross. In chapter 2, it was an offense to any racist or nationalistic view, even political. We talked about, they talked about how, uh, do you remember, Peter was, uh, you know, as soon as the Judaizers came, he stopped sitting with the Gentiles and started sitting at the Jewish table, right? The cross is offensive because at the foot of the cross, all is equal, all is level. Everyone has equal access, equal position. We are co-heirs. It has the equalizing effect. And it's offensive to anyone who would raise any kind of nationalistic or racist or political view because there is not a I am better than you or I am higher than you or I am more right than you. In the grand kingdom view, we are all equal. We are all co-heirs. Everyone has equal access, equal opportunity. It is an offense to any type of hierarchical system in Galatians 3. There is neither neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. All are co-heirs with Christ. Continuing that point. There's not special advantages and special privileges to one over the other. The cross is offensive to anyone who would ever try to hold that position. Jesus gets in the way of, of my agenda... In this world, anything that I would try to pursue to gain position higher than another person, to gain some advantage over another person, is stripped by the gospel, by the the cross. The cross removes that. And so it's offensive. In chapter 4, it's an offense to those who would prefer to be under the law. Those who said, those who would say, I really want, I'm grateful for the cross, but I also still want to do all the right things uh, in the Bible, and and I want to take pride in the fact that I'm a really good person and that I keep all of the rules. You don't understand it. The cross is offensive. If I'm solely and wholly saved by Christ's work on the cross, then it's offensive to anyone who would ever try to approach God, be acceptable by God through the use of the law. In Galatians 5, the cross is an offense to both the legalist and the licentious. It's an offense. Do you remember? There's a list of things that the the works of the flesh, and that list was exhaustive. We talked about on Family Sunday. Awful things. This is the outflowing, the working of the heart. This is what's inside of us. Whether we're trying really hard to be good or trying really hard to just enjoy life, the fruit of that, although he doesn't use the fruit, the works of that, is, is what we see. It's, it's, it's humanity. We see it. We do not need to be convinced of it. And the cross is offensive to this idea 
Because if I'm solely and wholly saved at the cross, everything good that would come out of me is going to be a working of the Spirit. And my role merely is to walk by that Spirit. And fruit is a result of me staying connected to Jesus. And it is entirely possible by the work of the cross, solely and wholly saved. In Galatians 6, it's an offense to leaders who would try to rise to fame by adding to the gospel. I'll point you to verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. And, and in, the, in the verse right before that, and, in, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. See what was happening here? Is they were afraid of being persecuted. They would, they would prefer to accept all of Christianity except the cross. Can we get rid of the cross? The cross is getting in the way. If I take the cross, I'm going to be persecuted. But if we can just take, this is kind of a, a sect of Judaism, then I can be okay. I can be accepted. I will not be persecuted by Rome and by my fellow Jews. The cross was offensive. And they were essentially saving their own necks. The cross forces me to do business personally with sin. This is, this is one of the most primary offenses. Consider, uh, consider our culture. Uh, I, I, I don't want to take a ton of time on this, but, but there are, are different views about how the world would bring about justice. I was reading in an article, uh, there's, there's libertarian, liberal, utilitarian, and postmodern. Uh, libertarian uh, is, is this idea that, that uh, we are all a product of our choices. If I make right choices, I'm going to have success in life. And for people who have, uh, who have it bad, that's because that's a result of their bad choices. Right? The cross is offensive to the libertarian because the cross says we care about the poor. We care about the marginalized. We care about the outsider. We care about the fact that they are a product of their environment. The cross is offensive to this idea because guess what? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What choice did you make in that? What personal choice did you make that you got to this point where you are enjoying the benefits of salvation? If you are in Christ, what choice did you make? You had no choice in that. So how, how could we accept the cross simultaneously with the libertarian ideal? And, and, and if, if you ha- hold a libertarian ideal, and I'm offending you, I, I'll offend everybody else too in just a second. But, but, but that's what I'm saying, that the cross is offensive. We can't actually hold any political view higher. For a liberal approach, justice is about uh, equality for all. So now we start to get more in, in, in this understanding that everyone has value and worth and we are going to be concerned and caring about the world and what's broken and wrong in the world. But the cross is offensive because sin. You see, the liberal idea says that everyone gets to decide what's good. Everyone gets to decide what's right for them. Because all people are equally, all people are, uh, equally dignified, even their viewpoints are dignified, and so they get to choose and decide what is right for them. Then why did Christ die? Why the cross then? 
If no one's ever done anything wrong, everyone gets to decide their own truth. If everyone gets to uh, determine what is right and wrong and call it all relative, then why did he have to die? So the cross is offensive. It's offensive to the utilitarian who says that justice is, about, is, is, is essentially about happiness. It's about the majority. The majority of America agrees with this, so that's what's right for now. The minority's upset about it, but that's okay. The majority is happy. The cross is offensive to this, again, because of absolutes. There is an absolute truth. It is not relative. It is not decided by the majority. It's offensive to the postmodern and critical theory. It's offensive. Giving voice to the voiceless is important, but again, handing over Justice is about power, essentially, and handing over power to the minority and so that the minority would decide now what is right and wrong. We're still in the problems of, of, of relative truth. There are major holes in this idea. The cross is offensive to any kind of worldview or kingdom-building endeavor that we would make culturally, but it is also personally offensive, I want to have made the decision to follow Jesus because, because I, I want to take some credit. I love God. I like to think of the idea that I, that I found him, that I pursue him, that I'm grateful, and, and I'm not calling any of these things bad, but I want to take credit it's as if to say, the cross got me almost all the way to where I needed to be, and I took it from there, and I got us up over the edge. And I did that through, and I do that through my prayer, or my, my, my serving, or my giving, or my Bible reading, my pursuit of God. It's personally offensive because it says that the cross is, is solely and wholly my salvation and my position with God, and it happened before I was even alive, let alone before I ever tried to make any decision to be good. It's personally offensive to me because as I grow in maturity and I see the fruit of the Spirit in my life, I feel like I'm, I'm becoming a better parent I feel like I'm becoming a, a better husband. I'm, I'm becoming more faithful. I'm, I'm sinning less. These are all things that we can celebrate and that we can glory in. But guess what happens in my heart? I start to get prideful about it. I start to glory in it. I start to say, guys, look at Brandon. Look at how good I'm getting at this. You guys should all be more like me. And the cross is offensive to me because I was solely and wholly saved. In that moment, Jesus on the cross said, you don't get to add to this. You don't get to do anything to this. It's, it is solely and wholly the cross. God is not asking that you read the Bible, pray, and give to the church in order to merit your salvation. 
He says, you have, to, uh, you have no merit. And if we receive his salvation by faith, guess what happens? You start to pray. You start to read. You start to give. You see, when we start to look at the offense of the cross, we can start, start seeing the other side of it. We can start glorying in the cross. That's actually what the King James uses in, uh, in verse 14. Verse 14, it says, uh, in the King James, it says, but God forbid that I should glory save the cross. And that, that word there, boast, is not actually connected to pride. It actually is closer to glory. It's like worship. It's like be amazed by, put my hope in, uh, like be, yeah, hold on to. I mean, glory really ends up being the best word there. The NIV of the same verse, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a, there's a thought there as I kind of consider the different translations of this verse. Like, there's, there's the focus on the cross. The cross is what we boast in. But then there's also like, I'm not going to boast in anything else. So you have the object, you have the, the like, I'm not, there's nothing else I'm going to boast in. But then there's that, and I think, I think seeing, it the, seeing the NIV helped me to see this, like, may I never. Like, that's kind of like an active future tense. I don't know the fancy things to say there, but, uh, but like, there's, there's, this, there's this thought of, I might boast in something else. I might start glorying in something else. I might find something else to put my hope in, my pride in. I might find a political system or a political leader or an ideal or the fact that I stopped doing some sin or started uh, living under, under Christian liberty. I might find something that would create my own little group that says we're better than other people. I might try to separate and elevate my own idea. The cross is offensive necessarily. May I never, God forbid, in the King James, but God forbid that I should glory. There's there's this, this other story from, from J. Vernon McGee. I don't know why I ended up at J. Vernon McGee. Uh, love that guy. Uh, he was telling a story about a, a, a woman in Texas. This was a number of years ago. She, uh, she, had, she had a mangled face and scars, badly burnt. So hideous, in fact, uh, that she gave her, her daughter up for adoption. She could not imagine her daughter having to endure being seen with her, connected to her, associated with her. I, I can't imagine what this mom was thinking. She, she gives her daughter up to uh, an adoption agency and says, uh, I, I, don't want, 
I don't want my daughter to ever know about me. I don't uh, ever want my, my daughter to know the story behind this. Uh, after about five or six years, they, they, they accepted her request. After about five or six years, her mother instinct came up and, and she just I said, I want to see my daughter. I want to see what she looks like after five years. So they, they acquiesced and, and set up an interview for, um, for her to see her daughter. And her daughter, uh, five or six years old, um, came in and reacted as, as you might expect a five or six-year-old to see this disfiguring scar, her face not looking like uh, a normal face, arms, hands, I mean, multiple skin grafts. Um, the daughter ran out of the room in horror. But then the, the daughter, she was told a story about how her mother was burned. Her mom was holding her, and the house caught on fire. She wrapped her daughter in a wet blanket and placed her into the crawl space as the home was engulfed in flames. She was so badly burnt, uh, they didn't think that she would make it. And that it was this very act that would cause her to be so disfigured and hideous that saved the life of her daughter. And after some time and some consideration, her daughter went back in. And she was able to say, thank you for saving me. The cross is ugly. We wish it didn't have to happen. It was our sin that put him there. And if we're going to accept the cross, we have to accept that truth. And so what is offensive now can become beautiful and we can glory in what was once offensive to us. Accepting the fact that we are fully forgiven of our sin. We have to do business with the fact that we are so sinful that we needed that. But he is so perfect and loving and just that he would take it out on himself for our salvation. And so we're going we're gonna to celebrate that work on the cross by taking communion. I'm going to go ahead and have uh, our ushers bring communion. And as we, we just, around here, we just get up, we grab it, grab a cracker, grab a juice, go back to your chair. As soon as these guys are are set up, you can get up and you can grab the cracker, grab the juice. If you're a believer, we participate in communion every single week. We remember, we think about the cross. We think about his body that was broken. We think about his blood that was shed. And we're about to sing a song. We're about to sing a song about the cross, where we glory in the cross. The opening line... 
of that. As, as you're getting the cracker, as you're getting the juice, returning to your seat, we'll, we'll take this all together here in just a moment. I'm going to read to you the, the, the first verse of the song. This is the song we're going to sing here. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but lost and pour contempt on all my pride. In this version uh, of Chris Tomlin in the chorus, it says, it bids me that I come and die, that I may truly live. Everything that I pursued, everything that I went after, everything I've put my value in, my hope in, my glory in, everything that I've boasted in, I count it as loss. And I pour contempt on my pride. We have to daily go and be offended by the cross. Every week we take communion so that we can once again be offended by the cross and be reminded by the things that we might put our hope in, our glory in, the things that we might boast in. We are solely and wholly saved by the work on the cross. Go ahead. We're going to take the cracker. It represents his body. Take that now. The juice, it represents his blood. Take that now. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to glory in the cross. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for saving us. Help us to glory in nothing else. God forbid I would glory in anything but you crucified. We praise you now.